much for joining us today on episode 204 of the Real Life Runners podcast. Today we are talking about the concept of polarized training. Have you heard of it? Do you know what it actually means? You might have heard of the 80-20 rule, but that's not the full picture of the story. So today we're talking about what you need to know about polarizing your training so that you can reap all the benefits as a real life runner. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so we're talking about polarized training today, but before we get into that topic, we have a quick announcement about our free class, all about half marathon training. So we want to help you all, anybody that is interested in running a half marathon or maybe thinking about running a half marathon and you're wondering about the best way to train, how to fit half marathon training into your busy life, how do you actually do a half marathon? Maybe you've never done one before, or maybe you've done one before and it just wasn't very successful. We are running a free class on June 30th. If you listened to last week, we said it was the 28th. We did have to reschedule that. So the new date is June 30th, and that is at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So you can make sure you go and find out what your local time zone is. That's June 30th at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So if you are interested in running your first or your best half marathon, make sure that you save that date and mark your calendars so that you can join us for that free class. We're going to be giving out all sorts of valuable information there. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that class. That should be a fun one. Run your first, run your best, combo them. Make yeah. it your first and your best. Well, the first one is kind of already automatically your best, automatic right? Pre- automatic PB. A- automatic PR, PB, whatever you like to call it. It's your best time ever if, if you only run it once. Yeah. But ultimately, we really want to help you guys feel good crossing the finish line. Even if you've done one before, maybe you haven't hit your goal. Maybe you just felt like crap when you crossed the finish line. We want to help you guys learn how to train in a way that is going to support you as a runner so that you can train your mind, body, and skills for success. So again, June 30th, 3 p.m. Eastern time, mark your calendars, and we'll be giving out some more information on how exactly to register for that class in the coming weeks here. So make sure that you're following us on social media over at Real Life Runners on Instagram. We're on TikTok now. We're on Facebook. We're everywhere as Real Life Runners. So make sure that you're following us on social media because that is one of the best ways that you um, can get all of our updates. And then obviously, if you're on our email list, you'll be the first ones to know when registration is open for that class. So let's jump into this concept today of polarized training. Kev, start us off here and just give us an idea of like what polarized training is. All right, so polarized training kind of came about at the same time as this whole 80-20 training philosophy mm-hmm. where athletes should train at easy efforts and at hard efforts. And that there's this essentially dead zone in the middle is the concept behind polarized, which really paints with way too broad of a brush, which is right. really the the gist of this episode. I mean, I hate to kind of hit all the way in there, but we're going to dive into the details of that. But polarized suggests that you run your easy stuff really easy, and then you run your hard stuff really hard. Right. And I mean, there was a there are some coaches out there that believe that all of the things in the middle are basically wasted mileage. Yeah, like it's a dead zone. Yeah, the, that, that dead zone, you want to avoid it at all costs. It doesn't do any good for you. And there is something to be said about that, but it's not the full picture. And we will definitely be giving you guys the details as we go through this episode. Yeah, I mean, one of the, the books that I read when I was first diving into the whole let's coach and not just like make stuff up, but actually know what I'm talking about 
out and have some <laughs> reasoning to this. Um, I, I, as many coaches do, read um, Daniel's book on running and like all of the charts and all of the tables and everything. And, and Jack Daniels was big on make sure that you avoid this dead zone. And then they came out with like an update to that book and he no longer had that dead zone in the one like super important chart that like all coaches reference when they reference Daniels. He's sort of like, yeah, that whole dead zone idea, there's benefits inside of it. Yeah. And the issue with the dead zone is that most runners are actually doing most of their training in that dead zone. And that's why a lot of runners are plateauing, they're injured, they're overtraining, and they're not even realize it. And they're not getting faster. They're not able to run longer. They, you know, they come to us and they're like, I don't understand what's going on. And it's because a lot of people are spending time in that dead zone or that, you know, the formerly known as the dead zone. Sure, like right? the, the artist formerly known as dead zone. We'll, we'll give it a symbol. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there are some benefits, but most runners, especially recreational runners that have never worked with a coach or never listened to a podcast or anything like that, are just going out and doing most of their running in that medium to moderate zone. And that you should really not be spending the majority of your time in that. You should be spending the majority of your time in easy, easy running. So as we start out here, let's go over just a review of what different training intensities we should be looking at. All right, so Angie and I debated for, I don't know, like a year and a half about how many different training levels there should be. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, for a while, said there were five, and then we agreed that there should be more like ten. Well, because every time we were like coming up with training plans, you were like, oh, this one should be at a 3.5. And I'm like, well, why don't we just make it on a scale of ten then? That should be a seven that's out of ten. That's a seven. <laughs> right, and then we, get, then we are on a – like that's how we – you know, rate our training levels now, but Kevin still comes out with those halves. So it's a good thing we moved to 10 because otherwise he'd be like, this one's a 3.75 and people will be like, what? No, I give ranges now. This is like a level <laughs> seven, eight, yeah. somewhere in that, that ballpark. range, yeah. Because the more you look into it, the more you realize that there's not a lot of runs that are super, super precise. Mm-hmm. And it's not like, okay, well, this is a level seven. And for you as a particular person, that means that you need to run it at exactly 7.43 per mile. Like that's, it's, just not that precise. It's just not that precise, right? And the thing is, anything can affect that on any given day. And so let's back this up even more. When we talk about training by effort levels, we are talking about how hard that run feels to you on any given day. Whatever day you're doing that, you need to basically ask yourself, how hard am I running? And that is just by feel. It's called rating of perceived exertion. How hard do you feel like you're working? And that's on a scale of one to 10, where one is super duper easy, and 10 is super duper hard. And that is how you would rate any run on any given day. So it's it's not exactly tied to your pace, but obviously the faster you run, the harder effort you're putting forth. Right, but if you're going at like, a hard run and you actually ate well the night before and fueled that morning and got a good night's sleep and you know just life isn't super stressful for you it feels easier than well I slept three hours and the kid woke up in the middle of the Mm -hmm. night and I just kind of shoveled home some like potato chips last night for dinner Mm -hmm. like there's a different level of how hard that run is going to feel the next day right and this is why we don't usually subscribe very specific paces for our athletes like Kevin was saying like you need to run this at 743 pace 
space. Like there is a range. If you are a little bit above that or a little bit below that on any given day, that's okay because maybe your body is just feeling really good that day or maybe your body is not feeling really great that day, you know? So um, we tend to do a lot of our training based on effort levels. And then for our personalized clients, we do give them pace ranges to hit, especially if they are you know, aiming for a specific time goal, but it's not that, you know, you have to hit every single mile repeat at 743 or you're not getting the benefit of the workout, which is what some coaches out there do say, you know, like, I think that that's starting to decrease. I think that most coaches are starting to understand that there is a range, but there are definitely coaches out there that prescribe very, very specific intervals or or times for intervals. And if, you don't hit them. I, I know athletes that train with coaches like this and they are completely um, upset about their workout if they're just a couple seconds off in either direction. Right. And then like, depending on what the interval is like, okay, well you're supposed to run quarter repeats. Well now if you're a second off on the quarter repeat, that means that you're like four seconds off of your mile mm-hmm. pace off of that. It just, it gets weird mm-hmm. and it's, it's a small little range. And then are you actually running a quarter around a track or are you assuming that the GPS on your watch is actually correct? Mm-hmm. Cause if you've ever run the opening miles of the Chicago marathon, you know, the GPS on your your watch is never correct. Right. And a lot of the pace zones are also based on how you performed in any given race. What if you had a really bad race one day and, you know, your paces were calculated off of that? Is that a really an accurate representation of your skill level? Or maybe that race that your paces were based on was six months ago and you're in much better shape now, which is why effort level training can be a lot more beneficial to a lot of athletes. Right. And then some people connect effort-based training to heart rate, mm-hmm. which I has, just got this question this week. It has some pros and cons yep. to this one also, because there is somewhat of a connection to it. For like sure. there is definitely a relation. You go harder, your heart rate will go higher. You right. go easier, your heart rate stays lower. The problem is, is that like not this morning, but like say last week, I went off on a nice easy run. This morning I went at a more moderate pace, but the last week I went on a nice easy run and my heart rate spiked up because it was 90 degrees and mm-hmm. the humidity was like 85%. Right. So even though I felt like I was going really nice and, and slow pace for me, my heart rate was still higher than it would have been if I was th- if I strongly prescribed that heart rate has to determine my effort level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is another place where it gets kind of gray because if you are doing heart rate heart rate based training, a lot of that is based on whatever your maximum heart rate is. So number one, do you have an accurate calculation of what your max heart rate is? Or are you just doing the general 220 minus age, which is not that accurate, especially for trained endurance athletes? And also, if you have a run, if you're prescribed a run in a given threshold range, right? Like say, I'm supposed to do the majority of this range in zone three or in zone four, right? That's, say say your zone three is 130 to 150 beats per minute. Sure. If, if you run your, the majority of your run and it's a 151, it's putting you in zone four and giving you a completely different benefit to that workout according to the according smart to your magic watch. watch. Yep. Yeah, according to the magic watch, right? But it's, but is it really? Like, is it really that precise? Yeah, I mean, that's, I forget which podcast I was listening to, but the coaches were going back and forth. They're like, does your body really know the difference? Either they work with very high level athletes. So they're like, does your body really know the difference if you do a quarter repeat in 66 seconds? versus 67 seconds like is are you making completely different physical adaptations the answer well no Mm -hmm. like your body's going to adapt generally to what that 
overall training plan is, but it's also just going to adapt to what it needs to fill in so that you're more successful in that workout the next time you go at it. Right. And then how many times do, you know, you have athletes out there that train, 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 and maybe they're not hitting those workouts and they think they're in worse shape and then they get in a race and they just perform out of their mind. Blow the doors off. Yeah. You know, like, and this is why, you know, was it that important to be that specific in every single quarter repeat that you ran? Like probably not because when it comes to race day, anything can happen. You know, anything can happen on the good side of things. And then unfortunately, anything can also happen on the bad side. Like if it's hot and humid and just like your stomach has issues, like you could be completely well trained for a race and maybe that day it just didn't go well. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the the training things that you need to work on is literally how your body responds to heat. Mm -hmm. So if you have and actually ever trained for your body to make sure that it's properly cooling itself and yeah. sweating appropriately. Like there's a way to train for being able to go off and run for many, many miles in that level of heat. And mm -hmm. it's to actually go out and run many, many miles in that level of heat. Right. And to, and there's also some issues between men and, fe and women, yes. uh, males and females, but that's not what we're getting into today. We'll do another episode in the future about that. Let's talk a little bit more about some specifics. Okay. So there are a lot of different methods of training. Um, we're talking about polarized training today, but that's relative, it's, I wouldn't say it's like a new term, but it's, it's starting to become more popular out there in the running literature. It gets thrown around a lot the same way that like, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, tempo runs were like the term that yeah. people used. And then people started using tempo runs to describe things that were not what tempo was supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. Like in terms of like the, the scientific background, like tempo runs had a very specific definition. People started using tempo to just mean I'm running it at a medium hard effort. Mm -hmm. So it kind of got overused. So there's a lot of terms out there. Um, and we're kind of briefly yeah, explain let's what these yeah, are. Yeah, let's define these now. Okay, so first one, high volume, low intensity is pretty much what it sounds like. You do a lot of running and almost all of it is very, very easy. Mm -hmm. This is like to go to an extreme level, this is like mafetone training. Mm -hmm. All of your running is very, very, very easy, easy running. Right. On the opposite end of that spectrum, you have low volume and high intensity where you're not running a lot of miles, but you have a much higher intensity of those miles when you do go out and run. Right. So you rarely have like a, a long, easy run. You mm -hmm. just simply crank it up. Lots of intervals. Lots of intervals. Yeah. Lots of like hit types of workouts. Hit training is pretty much what you're working with on right. this guy. Then there's threshold training. Okay. Threshold training is running most of your stuff at like a medium to medium hard effort. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, it's where like tempo training is actually supposed to be. Like there's there's it's also known as lactate. Lactate threshold. Last, yeah, lactate runs. Like you can actually scientifically measure this. It's where um, the the buildup of lactate in your blood starts to substantially climb. Mm -hmm. There's like a, a jump in it when you hit a, a certain pace. Right. Then we have polarized training, which is where you perform a lot of your running at the easier level and then some running at the harder level. So polarized just basically means the two ends of the spectrum, right? That there, you're not doing a lot of stuff in the middle. You're doing a lot of running on one end and some running on the other end and that, and you kind of try to avoid that middle area. Polarized is essentially like the opposite of threshold training, whereas threshold spends a lot of time in the middle. Mm -hmm. Polarized was essentially like kind of the pendulum swing from when everyone's like, oh, threshold training's the key. Then the pendulum swung back the other way. People were like, avoid the middle section, only go to the sides. Right. Then there's uh, pyramidal training, which is related to polarized. And it's sort of breaks your training into different 
um, intensity levels. It says do most of your training easy, then do some of your training in that like middle to middle hard zone, and then do just a little bit of your training in the even uh, faster zone. Right. So as as your runs get harder and harder, you do fewer and fewer of them. Right. So essentially, as the intensity level increases, the amount of time that you spend at that level decreases. Exactly. And then we've got block training, which essentially combines a lot of these different things where you essentially break up your training year, training cycles into smaller cycles where you focus on one thing. Right. And I mean, you can essentially say that the goal of the next 12 weeks is to focus on this particular type of training. And the thing is that even when you look at elites, when they still break their year down into 12-week cycles or 16-week cycles, a lot of them still essentially hang out mainly in one of the types that we've already covered. Mm -hmm. The focus might be slightly different. So your numbers are going to get just a little bit skewed. Maybe it's a little bit more easy running. Maybe it's a little bit more harder running. But they tend to kind of stay in one particular program throughout the, the course of the year, even though the year is still broken up into training blocks. It's more of a mental shift of, of what's mm-hmm. happening over the next several weeks. Right, exactly. So like we mentioned earlier, most recreational runners tend to fall into the threshold training mentality, right? A lot of people, if they've never read anything about running before, never listened to anything, maybe they haven't bought the books or read the articles, they just decide they're going to go out and run. You know, I'm going to go out. I want to get back in shape. I need to start moving my body more. I'm going to put some shoes on my feet and I'm going to get out the door and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to run. And when that happens, most runners end up at that medium to moderate pace. It's just what most runners fall into. Right. Because when you first get into it, running's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like you head out the door for your first run and you're like, this is pretty hard. Oh yeah. I mean, there's so many people that have come to us, like when we start, started to talk about this, because we've done challenges on this and webinars and all sorts of things to try to you know help educate people in these types of ideas and people you know that are joining our challenges have said I don't understand what an easy run is like that sounds like an oxymoron to me because running is not easy right and the thing is that you can you can dial that back or you can add in some walks into your run to make sure that overall that run feels easy to Mm -hmm. you like stick in some walking breaks especially if you live in someplace where it gets really really hot over the summer like maybe a walking break is necessary to make that run actually feel like it's still an easy run yeah but the problem is most runners most most casual runners have a major mental block mm-hmm. towards easy running right they feel like well if i'm if it, i'm going out there and it feels easy then i'm really not getting the full benefits of my training like why would it feel easy shouldn't i be pushing myself harder which is a big issue because you actually get major benefits out of easy running like that's when you get some of the most benefits without the the wear and tear on your body mm-hmm. like you get the the increased mitochondria, the capillary density. Like you can, you're literally making more energy and then getting more oxygen flowing out to the muscles. Those adaptations happen in huge amounts at very easy training, and they happen at higher training. But there's like a you need to be out there for long enough. And it's hard to be out there for a long run if you're pushing it really hard every time you go out there. Right. Well, and there's also a lot of other hormonal adaptations that happen if you are pushing too hard. Like you're 
essentially increasing stress levels in your body and the stress hormones are rising, which are making it harder for all of these other processes to occur. Right. You ramp up cortisol and you literally can't adapt to the workout that you just did. Right. Even if the, like, the next workout was easier, like, okay, fine, this one will be an easy run and then I'll get those easy run adaptations. But your body's still like flooded with cortisol from the day before that you went too hard right. and you're not ever gaining the benefits. Yeah. And then the you know, people wonder why they're not losing weight. Like, especially if they're going into running with the intention of losing some weight and getting fitter and they notice that they're not losing weight or some people actually gain weight, it's because they're training too hard. So if this is you, please listen very carefully. If you train too hard, you are elevating levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone in your body. And cortisol's job is to pack on fat. So you literally are storing more fat, which is the opposite of what you want to do. You want to be out there burning fat which you need which you do more efficiently at lower intensity so if you are pushing at a higher intensity that medium to moderate pace we're not talking about level eight nine ten we're not talking about high intensity we're talking about like a level five level four level six like that medium to moderate intensity you are actually storing fat because you are elevating cortisol levels in your body right and i don't want to turn this into like a nutrition episode but beyond pushing too hard like if you're getting into running to try and lose weight and you're like, okay, well, if I'm not pushing, then I'm not really getting the calorie burn off of it. Yeah. And then if you're not fueling, your body right. now thinks that you're going into starvation mode. So Which you, is elevating cortisol even more. Exactly. So essentially you push too hard in an effort to try and burn more calories and then you don't give the body the fuel that it needs yep. to actually train at that level. And it's your body is just going to try and store anything that it possibly can. And break down muscle in the process. So yes. you're actually going to be losing lean body mass and lean body mass actually helps you burn more calories when you're at rest. So it's like the opposite of everything you're trying to accomplish. Okay. Yep. So... If you gain nothing else from this episode, you need to understand that you need to do more easy training in your running. So that covers most of your casual runners is pushing just a little bit too hard, not like crazy too hard, but just a little bit too hard day in and day out and day in and day out over and over and over. Mm -hmm. What is the average super high level athlete, like the the elite, sub-elite athlete, what does their training look like? It looks essentially like a lot of high volume, low intensity running. If you look deeper, it kind of looks like polarized. A lot of the studies have gone and looked at this stuff and they're like, oh, they run a polarized training uh, program. Mm -hmm. And as we keep going, I want to kind of talk about the difference between if it's polarized or pyramidal, because I think that's going to be this new buzzword coming out there. So I kind of want to educate our audience and make sure people know what this Getting the ahead means. of the fads. Yeah. Jump ahead of the curve before yeah. people like, like, wait, wait. I was I was told polarized is the answer. How come suddenly everything's pyramidal? And it's like, well, they're, it's kind they're of related to each other. Yeah. Let's explain why. Yeah. Um, but a lot of these super elite athletes are doing incredibly high volume, low intensity, like 80, 85, 90% of their running mm -hmm. in this very easy, moderate, like very easy, easy pacing. Yeah. I mean, like you look at some of these amazing elite Kenyan runners or Olympic athletes and they do so much of their training at low intensity, there are Kenyans that literally run sub five minute pace for a marathon that go out some days and run somewhere in the 
eight minute to 10 minute range for their miles. Like eight minute pace, 10 minute pace, like that's how slow they're going. Like minutes and minutes and minutes slower than what their race pace is. And for their marathon race pace. Right. And I mean, one of the Yeah, big... we're not even talking about 5K pace, race right. pace, yeah. Yeah, no. So one of the big moves of like people trying to study Kenyans, Kenyan athletes and, and that general system of like, okay, they're some of the fastest runners in the world. Can we all train like that? And what often happens on their like easy run days is they often start super slow, mm-hmm. somewhere in the like eight to nine minute range. And then it kind of gradually... And, and can we can we just say like super slow relative to them? Yes. Like we don't want to say like that's a super slow pace because it's totally not. No. Especially for us recreational runners. A lot of us would be very happy to hold that pace. But for the Kenyans, that is a super slow pace when we're talking about, you know marathon pacing sub five minute mile right that's so let's we're talking relative because i know um i saw the, like on instagram like a month or so ago molly seidel who's like one of the U- united states olympians in the marathon hopefully she'll get to um participate this year yep. you know hopefully don't, they don't cancel the olympics but um she put something about like how she was going out on a super slow run and it was at like nine minute pace and people on instagram got all mad at people her people flamed up on yeah, her yeah but i mean like for her it is a slow, slow pace if it's like four minutes slower than what you're shooting for for your race pace. Right. If, she, <laughs> if you're running a marathon at like 5.30 per mile, yeah. then nine is slow. Right. If you're running a marathon at nine minutes per mile, then nine is not slow anymore. Right. Like that's no longer your easy run. That's your marathon pace. Mm-hmm. But if you were to, you know, extrapolate that to you, you know, if you're hopefully trying to hit a half marathon or marathon pace around nine minutes, how slow should you be doing your easy runs. And that's where people get a little thrown off. Right, because they they look at that number and they're like, I'm not that slow. And there's like all this mind drama around going that slow. Mind drama around it. It's a great phrase for it. Is I can't go slower than this. That's how long it would be if I was running my marathon pace. That already feels so slow for me. It's like, okay, but you got to pull back from that Mm -hmm. so that you're not straining yourself so that you don't find yourself sliding into that middle range. Mm -hmm. Because the middle range... Like we've pointed out, it's not a dead zone, but if you train too much in the middle, if you're like level one, two slides up towards four or five, then when you try and go at like level eight, nine, it's going to slide back towards six, seven and suddenly everything's a five. Right, exactly. And so we should try to take some, you know, lessons from these elite runners. Obviously we're not elite runners. We are not training at the same volume as professional runners, but high volume, low intensity on a polarized level where you're spending the majority of your time, like Kevin said, 80 to 90% of your time should be spent at that easy level. Right. And then on the, like the super elites, there's a slight change. So this whole idea of block training, there's like essentially their preparation phase, pre-competition, competition phase. You've got different like cycles throughout the year. Mm -hmm. If you're a marathon runner, you've got like probably a handful of marathons that you're like aiming for. If you're a track runner, they've got different like windows of, of races that they're aiming for. So depending on what essentially season they're in and what goal distance they have. Some of them will move more towards polarized training or less towards polarized and it'll look even more just high volume, low intensity. Exactly. So let's talk a little bit now about the difference between polarized and pyramidal. Like we started to kind of get into it, but let's just be very specific so that we can make sure everybody understands this. Okay. So a lot of these studies, um, on, all the different training methods. One, they come from a variety of sports mm-hmm. because if you're like an exercise physiologist, there's 
crossover between cycling and cross-country skiing and rowing and running. They all kind of get pushed in as endurance sports training. Mm -hmm. It's also tricky to take high-level athletes and say, okay, your training's going great. We'd like to do this to you for the next eight weeks. And just see what happens. <laughs> We're not sure what's going to happen, but we'd right. like to check. So a lot of the studies basically <laughs> take the elite athletes' training programs and see what it looks like as like a retrospective. Right. Life. So it's retrospective versus prospective. Yes. So when they started taking apart some of these training programs and really analyzing it, the early studies said, oh, wow, all the elites train in this super polarized manner. Mm -hmm. They train either very, very easy, and then they put like 15 to 20% in the very, very hard. Right. And this doesn't really paint the full picture of this, right? Because the way they would look and say, look at it is they would say, okay, they have say 12 runs per week, right? Because a lot of the elites train twice per day. Um, so if they have 12 training sessions per week, how many of those are hard? And like, oh, they have one hard day here. So that's one twelfth of their training. So that's what we should all do in our in our polarized training schedules. Exactly. And then, you know, you throw in a couple of hard sessions throughout the week and it adds up really quick that it makes it look like um, that the elites were doing a lot of high level like faster, faster runs, mm -hmm. which was not exactly the case. Okay. So here's the thing. Here's how they measured it. They either talked to the coaches and said, what was the goal of that session? Mm -hmm. Like if you were to put it on a level and a lot of these studies go levels one through five, they asked the coaches, what level was that? And they'd be like, Oh, that the goal of that session was level four. It's like, okay, but they did 10 miles of running. And that included like a three mile warm up, and then they did a handful of 400s, mm -hmm. and then they did like a five mile cool down. Right. Yeah, the 400s, the goal was at level five, mm -hmm. but there was also this warm up and this cool down, or they'd ask the athletes, how hard was that session? Well, if you just went through a grueling track workout, your mind doesn't think, well, I had this warm up and this cool down that were pretty relaxed. It goes to the hardest part of the workout. Mm -hmm. And so the athletes would be like, that was like a level four. That was a level five. Like that was as hard as of a training session as they do. And so because the way the studies were designed, they essentially counted training sessions mm -hmm. rather than look at you train for this many hours over the week. And this is how much time out of that your body was physically in the different training zones. Right. Because the thing is, you know, when you do these high level speed sessions, so let's just take quarter repeats, for example, you're spending time, you're spending a couple of minutes running a quarter, you know, one to two minutes, probably maybe a little bit longer, and then you have a break and then you do it again and you run hard for a minute or two and then you have a break and that's how interval sessions work so yeah you might be doing you know a, a total of like 12 quarter repeats right but say you you are running that at two minute pace right say your goal is two minutes per quarter which is an eight minute pace you're technically only doing 24 minutes of hard running, mm -hmm. right? But that workout might be a 60 minute run. So only 24 of those minutes are hard though. So that's really only, you know, a little over a third of that session. Right. And then when you look at that in the scope of the entire week, you're really spending a, a small percentage of your time at those harder intensities. Right. So some of the better studies started um, breaking the sessions down. So instead of saying, well, this athlete had 12 sessions per week, they would have dozens because they would have their warm up and then the actual workout itself mm -hmm. and then a cool down. And so the warm up counted as a whole session yeah. of level one, you know, and the cool down was at level one or two, like it was a much easier level. Yeah. And so then that made a little bit more sense, but you got to really break down because 
these elite athletes are doing warm-ups and cool-downs and workouts and then strides. Should strides count as a whole separate session? It was just a thing that got added on the back of it. Mm. Like, well, no, it's a complete different effort level than the, like, hour-long easy run they just did. And then they put strides on the back end that was suddenly, like, a level eight. You know, like, whatever levels you're working with. So you got to break it down. When the scientists started looking at it, instead of saying, okay, we're just going to count how many of each session they did and then divide by however many total sessions, and they started actually working out how much time athletes spent in these different zones. We got watches and heart rate monitors, and you can take blood samples of people throughout the week. There's so many ways to track athletes now when they were actually very carefully trying to figure out how much time did athletes spend in these different things, they came up with totally different numbers. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, the overall training did not look like a a polarized training schedule. It didn't look like a dumbbell anymore with a giant volume over here of easy running and a pretty good volume over here of very, very hard running and nothing in the middle. It looked like a big giant slope, Mm -hmm. which is where the where the term pyramidal came from is huge volume of easy, smaller volume of moderate, and then even smaller volume of hard and almost no volume of very, very hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so that's really the idea of what pyramidal training is. You want to basically spend a big chunk of your time at easy, a little bit of your time at moderate, and then even smaller amount of time at that hard level. And that's how this is. all of this information is very useful to us as real-life real runners, right? None of us are elites or professionals, but we can take what we learn from those professionals and put that into our lives and figure out how we can make that work for us. So like we've been saying throughout this entire episode, okay, the majority of your training needs to be performed at low intensity, which is slower than marathon pace. And, you know, maybe some of you have never run a marathon before, and that's totally cool. So you don't really know what marathon pace even is, but marathon pace for, you know, our intents and purposes is probably around a level three, right? Level three, four. And when we talk about easy pace, we're talking a level two, maybe even a level one sometimes. And so when we tell our athletes this, a lot of times there's pushback, right? Like, I don't know what a level two is. How can I go that slow? I'm already a slow runner. How can you expect me to go even slower? If I go even slower, how do you expect me to get even faster? And the answer is it just works that way, you know, <laughs> because we have to make these physical adaptations in our body. Like we explained earlier with cortisol and hormones and um, capillaries and mitochondria, all these different things. Like we are teaching our bodies how to use oxygen more efficiently. We are creating more pathways for oxygen. And then we are teaching our bodies how to use fuel more efficiently and regulate our hormones in endurance training as well. So there's so many different adaptations that are going on in the body when we train. And that Lower intensity helps your body to have so many benefits and so many really, really great adaptations so that you can get faster, you can run longer, you can avoid injury and overtraining, which I know is super important to our audience. Right. And that's the last one. That's like the next point that I want to cover here is you can avoid the injury and the overtraining because you get the same benefits 
because they've they've done studies on this one of they took people and basically put them through high volume low intensity or threshold training so they broke their their training down and made it like 90 percent easy none in the middle and five percent kind of like harder yeah or they like moved this thing around and made like 60 percent of their running in the middle Ooh. with just like a little bit of easy and a little bit of hard but almost everything in the middle and they were making similar adaptations in terms of like increased mitochondria capillary density like all these different adaptations but they were also showing higher levels of stress inside the muscles higher levels of different enzymes that are like key markers for overtraining Mm -hmm. they were measuring quality of sleep and sleep was rapidly diminishing basically they weren't hurt but they were showing all the signs that they were about to be hurt and fall off the edge right and if they would have continued that study a little bit longer that's probably would have happened right but they weren't any further ahead on the positives. Yeah. Like, there was no extra benefit from doing that training instead of doing the easy training. They were getting similar positive results plus this danger results of, careful, you're pushing it too hard. Yeah. But why not take the easiest route to get the best results? Yeah, I would I would vote for that one too, <laughs> right? I mean, like, when you go out there and you run easy, like, you feel better. You can maintain conversations with your friends. Like, you come home and you're not just completely wiped out the rest of the day. Yep. Like, these, there are so many actual benefits. And if there is no benefit to pushing yourself harder, why would you do it? Why would you keep doing it? And why would you risk the, you know, possibility of injury and overtraining to keep pushing at that level? And okay, so here's the thing is there's a small benefit of pushing there. Tell us. Mental. Mm. If you're going to be in a race where you have to find that like moderately difficult Like, this is not super, super uncomfortable, but I would prefer to run slower than this. Yeah. And the race, the finish line is still miles off. You are not prepared to do that mentally until you've practiced that a little bit in your actual training cycle. Absolutely. It's not the physical adaptations. Like, your body can physically do it based off of, like, a lot of very easy running. You could then go out and hit a half marathon, a marathon, based off of a good volume of low-intensity running. But... When you hit the 20-mile mark in a marathon, if your body hasn't been in that place where it's like, this hurts and I'm not done, and your mind doesn't know how to deal with that, then uh, unfortunately, the body's going to win and the mind can't overrule. Mm -hmm. You have to mentally train some of this, which is why they've done some studies on um, essentially recreational athletes and said that recreational athletes can gain some benefits from training in the threshold level that elites don't seem to gain. They couldn't come up with a conclusion as to why. Mm-hmm. I'm convinced that the answer is purely mental. Totally. That the elites had put themselves in that like hurt place. They know what pain feels like. They know what pain, yeah. they dance in the pain. Yeah. Whereas your casual recreational runners, if it gets hard, they slow down. Mm-hmm. And when they were in this training Thing where the scientists were essentially saying you have to stay in this place yeah they mentally adapted to find mental tricks to be like okay this hurts and i have to keep going totally like that makes so much sense and that is why pyramidal training has a huge benefit for us right because you're getting the major physical benefits with the easy you are getting physical benefits with the moderate but you're also getting a ton of mental benefits to allow yourself to stay in the pain and then you're getting a ton of benefits both physical and mental from the hard you just have to make sure that the moderate and the hard running is a smaller portion of your training and that the 
majority and the bulk is still in that easy zone. Right. So if you're looking at your own training and you're trying to be like, okay, so how much time do I actually spend there? One, you don't have to do math on 80, 80% and 20%. Yeah. Like if you're not sure what the run should be, in all likelihood, err on the side of make it easier than you think. Mm-hmm. Like that's the other thing is when you go to the medium pace or even like the harder pace, these studies were finding that harder for some of these athletes, like the level seven was not what we've talked about a lot on this podcast, that it was easier than you think that for elite athletes, when they took it to a fairly difficult level and they were doing it based off of like reading lactate levels in their blood and and all sorts of like actual physiological markers that they were checking, that they were running somewhere between 10K and half marathon pace. Mm -hmm. For a level seven? For their like higher, harder workouts. Mm -hmm. Now, don't get me wrong, when an elite is running like a 10K pace, that means as hard as they can run for about 30 minutes. Yeah. So that's a different pace than than maybe a lot of us recreational runners. But it's probably easier than you think. Like just because it's a hard day does not mean you need to be like dry heaving on the side of the road. Right. It doesn't mean that you're doing hill sprints on every hard day. Every hard day does not need to feel like you should probably like call a doctor at the end of it. And put your hands on your knees and you can't catch your breath. Right. There's benefit to that. Yeah. Just putting that in every once in a while. Every once in a while. But you definitely don't need that coming twice a week. Right. You really don't need that coming twice a week. Right. So for general health, you want to make sure that you're hitting runs in all of your zones, you know, but again, we're backloading and doing a lot of the stuff at the, at the easy level, but especially for those of us that are over the age of 30, which is probably all of our audience, I would, I would argue. Like we might have some under 30, but over the age of 30, we start to lose lean muscle mass. And it's important for us to continue to build muscle as we get older and continue to maintain the muscle that we have as well. And we do that through hard training, high intensity training. But if we do too much of that, we break down too much. Because remember, during the easy times, the easy recovery runs, the rest, sleeping, those kinds of things, that's when you build back stronger than you were before. You do the high, hard stuff to make your muscles break down so that your muscles realize, oh, I'm not strong enough to handle that load. I need to build up stronger so that when that load comes at me again, I'm more able to handle it. And that happens during the easy and recovery times. Right. You also make a lot of the physiological adaptations from hard running over a much shorter time window. Yes. Because like one of the biggest adaptations from going like really hard, like level nine ten, yeah, is like musculoskeletal coordination. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's a nervous system thing that you literally can make your body move smoother through the appropriate running technique. Like if you're trying to run a six minute mile and you're not used to ever running a six-minute mile, when you try and get that fast, you're not going to be moving efficiently. Limbs are flying all over the place. So to get your body to know what it's like to run at that pace, you have to spend a little bit of time there. You don't have to spend a lot. Mm -hmm. Like to go to the extreme, back to like Maffetone training, when he has his athletes do like real high intense stuff, they'll do it for like 10 to 15 seconds. But just enough that the body knows, okay, this is how I move at this speed, and now I'm going to pull it back down so Mm -hmm. that they overall keep their heart rate substantially lower. But you still need to know how to physically move in that. The bonus is that your your body adapts pretty quickly with that. Right, and the other thing that you're doing when you're working at those high intensities is for short durations is that you're creating what's called oxygen debt. So basically what you're doing is you're pushing yourself to the point where your oxygen, like the supply of oxygen that you have, 
is not keeping up with the demand that you have. So then your body basically goes into this state after your workout or after that that interval where it's trying to catch up and trying to replenish the oxygen stores, which leads to all sorts of benefits. And this is the cornerstone for HIT training, the high intensity interval training. You know, if you've ever seen people talk about, you know, work out in 10 minutes a day and get ripped and get crazy results, this is what they're the cornerstone of that kind of training. Like you go so hard for such a short period that you create this massive oxygen debt and then your body is like constantly like burning through fuel to help replenish this for like hours after the workout. Right. That's, I mean, one of the keys of, of the HIIT training is that it's been shown that you can build similar like mitochondria quantity in like the 10 minute HIIT training window as you can for like an hour of easy running. Mm -hmm. So then everyone's like, well, you should train for a marathon by just doing HIIT training. It's like, that's only one of the training aspects that you need to change. So like there are benefits of it. For sure. But the, I mean, the other problem with this, especially for older runners or older athletes, you know, as we continue to get up in in our decades, higher intensity stuff, you have a higher risk of injury, right? Like when, when you are pushing really, really hard, you are at a greater risk for injury. And that's one of the benefits or one of the downfalls of that type of training and why it's not recommended to do all the time. Right. And then there's, there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about. And that's essentially like how people respond to training Mm -hmm. is it's very individual. Yeah. Like if you and I ran the exact same training cycle, Mm -hmm. like the same workouts at the same, like, you know, intensity levels, we would not necessarily get to the same improvements on it because like say you throw workout x at a person one athlete may improve all their different measurables by like two percent and the other athlete improves by like 0.5 percent there's high responders and low responders well and there's different ways that your body is genetically built right like there are some people that are more built for endurance and can go great with like going longer and longer and longer but they are more deficient in shorter speed stuff. And then there are people that are built more like more muscular types of people that are built for stronger, um, faster, shorter stuff and have more of a struggle with the endurance, um, end of it. You can build up both sides. You know, if you're kind of genetically built one way, you can definitely develop the side that you're weaker in, but those two people, depending on their goals, might want to train a little bit differently. Train a little bit differently. One might be struggling a little bit more in the different workouts. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, my friend is making these adaptations like week after week. They're just seeing these crazy results. Maybe they're a high responder. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're a low responder. It doesn't mean that you're not getting the benefits out of them. Right. And it doesn't mean those workouts are wrong for you. Like if you're training for a long distance race, you still need a bunch of long, slow runs. Mm -hmm. But it might just take you a little bit longer to fully respond to all those workouts. Right. Like, do you need to have to have a long run every single weekend? Should you be ramping up your mileage every week? Like, you know, or should you have like an up week and then a down week or two up weeks and then a down week? Like there are different ways that you can structure your training so that it's best for you. And that's something that we do for our athletes inside the training team. So if it's something that you would like some help with, you guys know where to find some help and some coaching. (laughs) You You don't have to figure it out by yourself. Right, which leads to the very final point of making sure that you're recovering enough. Yeah. Here's the here's the thing, is we got a couple of big takeaways. One, make sure to probably slow your running down. Yeah. Okay, and two, yes, there's some scientific studies about like what exactly your training method is going to work the best. But in general, if you don't enjoy the workouts, 
you're probably not going to reap the full benefits of them. Like if you're out there, you're in general doing most of your running at an easy pace. Mm-hmm. And then you're enjoying the workouts where you go a little bit faster and you're putting enough recovery into them so that when you decide that it's going to be a day that you push, you can actually push to the level that you want. Yeah. Then you're, you're going to end up doing pretty well and, and fairly consistent. The recovery is, I think, far more important than making sure that you have your percentages broken down exactly to make a, a pyramid shape. Totally. I mean, like, and that's what happened to me on my workout this morning. Like, I decided that I wanted to do bridges today because I wanted to do some bridge sprints because I haven't done them in quite a while. And For those of you who live in, like, hilly places, bridge sprints are what we refer to as hill repeats down here in Florida. Yeah, we have to use bridges down here because we don't have actual hills. So, you know, this is one of the workouts that I decided I want to do because I wanted to push myself to that level. And it's funny because I know all of this stuff. We coach people in it, right? But you still have these mental hangups sometimes, right? So I did my bridge sprint and my recovery was a walk back down, Mm -hmm. right? Like sprint up, walk back down. And on the first two, I was like, oh, it's going to take me a long time to to get down. I don't know if that's too much recovery. <laughs> so I like jogged, I walked, you know, half of the hill and then just jogged the other half. And then by the time I got, you know, halfway through the workout, I'm like, nope, I'm going to be walking. No, these. walking the walking, downhill. <laughs> yeah. And that's okay. Like it was, you know, two minutes in between intervals or two and a half minutes between intervals. And I was like, is that too long? And I was like, you know what? This is what my body needs so that I can have the strength and the power to hit that interval again. So recover is absolutely critical when you want to be pushing yourself to those higher levels and it's something that a lot of people have a hard time with mentally because they're like well if I'm out here walking then I'm not actually pushing myself and I'm not actually running the full time so my five mile run isn't really five miles of running it's really only four miles of running and then some walking thrown in in between (laughs) my intervals like yeah and that's okay like that's exactly what you should be doing right yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. So the recovery within a run, and then you're certainly going to take an easy run tomorrow. Yeah. Are you running tomorrow again? I think so. But it's going to be easy because right. you were sprinting up over a, a bridge today. Yeah, so. usually Wednesday is my strength day, but we'll see what I decide to do. Um, so that is what we have for you guys. Hopefully that was really helpful. Um, again, the biggest takeaway is do more easy training and actually make your easy runs easy. We're talking like a level two out of 10 if you have to rate it on a scale of one to 10. Do most of your runs there. Do some at a moderate level and then do a little bit of sprinkling in at that harder, you know, level eight, nine, 10 um, for the best results, for the least risk of injury, for just overall happiness and progress, you know, that you can make in your running. Um, you know, you don't have to be plagued by those dreaded plateaus that a lot of runners experience if you structure your training correctly. And again, if you want help with that, we would love to help you out as a member of our training team. This is what we do for all of our athletes. We create the plans. The plans are comprehensive. They have um, all of your runs, all of your strength workouts, your mobility so that you can move better and feel better and train your mind, body, and skills for success. Um, So if you want more information about our training team, just head over to our website at realliferunners.com. And again, don't forget to mark your calendars for June 30th, 3 p.m. Eastern time for that free class on how to run your first or best half marathon. As always, guys, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 204. Now get out there and run your life. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, 
you have to come check out the Real Life Runners training team. It's our monthly coaching program where we take all of this material, we apply it, and we take it to the next level. We teach you how to train your mind, body, and skills for true and lasting success in your running and your life. We offer customized training plans, live coaching calls, and one-on-one coaching, along with our proven system to help you transform into the runner you want to be and achieve your goals. Come join our team over at realliferunners.com forward slash team and start to truly run your life. We'll see you there.